this time, I would like to dismiss our uh, children to Children's Church. So if you would like to head out the door with Miss Brittany, I believe. Everybody head on out. My notes keep increasing up here to remember to dismiss kids to Children's Church. I think people are noticing a theme that I have a problem remembering to dismiss children to Children's Church. We have uh, taken a long detour in the last several months because of Easter. And as we've been talking about getting the gospel to every home and Memorial Day, we've, we've taken a rather long break from what we had been teaching through and what we had been talking about, which was the gospel of Mark. And so today, believe it or not, we are finally returning to the gospel of Mark and Lord willing, if God is a gracious God and if he should tarry, um, we will finish this book in the next, uh, I'll say few months because I'm not promising the next few weeks. Now, if you will remember, we are in uh, Mark chapter 14 and we are really getting to the crucifixion. We are getting there. And so in Mark chapter 14, we have had uh, the Last Supper. We have had uh, really the kind of re big reveal of who was going to betray Jesus. Not that we didn't know that already because uh, Mark's kind of given us that clue. Uh, Mark has already, or excuse me, Judas has already made the deal to, to betray Jesus. It has been revealed. Um, the Lord's Supper has been instituted. Even this whole interaction with Peter has taken place where, where Peter says that he is never going to deny uh, Jesus and he's going to follow him all the way till death. And then we jumped ahead a little bit and recognized that Peter did deny Jesus and he did fail. And, and what a powerful lesson that was. And we've gone through all of this and this is all just one chapter. And today we pick up in verse 32 and we are going to be looking at what happens in the Garden of Gethsemane. So please uh, turn with me and, and to Mark chapter 14. We're going to be starting in verse 32. And we are going to pick up with Jesus and his disciples alongside the Mount of Olives. If you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word. And the word of God says this. It says, and they, now they being Jesus and his disciples, came to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here. Um, until I've prayed. And he took with him Peter and James and John, and he began to be very distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch. And he went a little beyond them and he fell to the ground and he began to pray that if it were possible that the hour might pass him by. And he was saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not come into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he went away again and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were very heavy and they did not know how to answer him. And he came the third time and he said, are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the son of man is being portrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let us be going. 
Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. Please be seated. As we look at this passage, we see, and it is, you want to remember, it is nighttime, and, and they've just finished the Passover meal and, and all that went with that. It says, in fact, that they ate the Passover, they, they instituted the Lord's Supper, and then they sang a hymn, and then they went to the Mount of Olives um, to, to do this very thing, to pray. And as they get there, and they get to the Mount of Olives, and they get to Gethsemane, and the word Gethsemane means olive press. And so they were going to a certain spot on this Mount of Olives where they used to have an olive press or they had something there and there's a garden there. And that's where all this stuff would have been. Maybe it was still there. Maybe it just had been there at one time. And he starts with his group of disciples. And we, we would assume maybe that we're talking specifically about the 12. And as they get to this garden, he, he turns to most of them and says, wait here. I'm going to go pray. And then he, he goes in a little bit further, and, and at this time, he takes three of them with him. And it's a very interesting three, because he takes Peter, who is also we see in the passage called Simon. This is the same Peter who just said, I'll never leave you, and I'm not going to deny you, and I'm going to be with you to the bitter end. And also James and John, who have also said very similar things. When they said, Lord, we, when you come into your kingdom, we want to be at your right hand and be at your left hand. And, and we want to sit right next to you. And he says, you, you guys don't even know what you're asking. And they said, yeah, we do. And he goes, no, you don't know what cup I'm about to drink, which we're going to get into today. And they said, yes, we are. They said, oh, anything you do, we can do. We're right there by you. And so these three that have claimed we're, we're in it to the very end, we're in it to win it. They get to go into Jesus with Jesus into where he's going to pray. And as they get to a certain point, we see that he turns to them and he gives them a very simple yet very specific command. He tells them to keep watch. In fact, he clarifies it later after the first kind of hour passes by when he says, keep watching and praying. Well, this should tell us a little bit about what Jesus means about keeping watch. He's not literally saying, I want you to stand here at the ready. And if anybody bad comes to try and get me to, to, you know, defend me with your life. That's not what he's saying. In fact, this word keep watch also means to just pay attention, be alert. And when you tie that in with the praying, he's telling them, I want you to be spiritually aware. He says, I am going to pray and I want you to be praying and I want you to be preparing your heart and your mind for what is about to happen. And so he gives them this command. He gives them this very simple, very straightforward command of what he wants them to do while he goes off to pray. The, the disciples did not realize, and in fact, we may not realize today that God is going to use this simple request or this simple command in order to reveal a deep spiritual truth about humanity and about our state as it relates to God. See, this simple request is actually a test of obedience. Jesus, God in the flesh, has commanded his followers to stay alert and to pray. And the test is going to be, can they do it? Can they stay alert? Can they pray? Can they be obedient to their master for even an hour? 
See, this was the whole point of the law. As we think about what had been established beforehand and and what they had been dealing with this whole time was this idea of can we, can humanity be obedient to the law? That was the whole point of the law. The whole point of the law was God said, obey this and we'll be good. In fact, look at Deuteronomy 28 verse 1. He says, now it shall be if you diligently obey the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments, which I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above the nations of the earth. All these blessings will come upon you and overtake you if you obey the Lord your God. That was the whole point of the law. The whole point of the law was obey me. I'm giving you these rules. I'm giving you this laws. I'm telling you how you are going to live for me in the land that I'm going to give you. And if you obey me, we're good. We'll have a right relationship. Everything will go well. You will live in the land and do well. And that's exactly what Jesus is calling his disciples to do today. Stay here. Be alert. Pray. And even though we, we see this command specifically to the three, I have no doubt that the other nine that are out, or I guess eight, because Judas is not with them, that are outside of the wall or a little bit further away, that they are being called to do the exact same thing. So the question being, can they be obedient? And we'll answer that question in just a moment. So Jesus has laid this request to them. He has said, stay here, be alert. Goes on to say, be alert, praying, be alert and pray. And then he goes just a little bit farther away. And it says that he falls to the ground in order to plead with his father concerning his fate. I want you to notice how Mark describes Jesus in this passage. It says, and he went a little beyond and he fell on the ground and began to pray. And going just actually a little bit before that in verse 34, he says that he was, or 33 says that he began to be very distressed and troubled, even saying that he was deeply grieved to the point of death. Now, if we look at other translations and as we look at how this word is is understood, it could even be said that he was in horror and anguish had overwhelmed him. This is not just he's a little anxious or a little upset. He is overwhelmed with anguish. He is scared. He is overwhelmed with horror. He knows what awaits him and he knows how unpleasant a task this is going to be. And I think it is reasonable to say Jesus was scared. We are reminded in this moment of Jesus' humanity. Jesus did not blindly march on to the cross. He knew what was going to happen. He knew that the whips would hurt. He knew that the crucifixion would be excruciatingly painful. He knew that eventually his muscles would give out and his heart would burst. And I, you want to know something? I don't even think this is what scared him. I don't think he was really, truly scared for what was about to happen to his physical body. I think he was scared because for the first time, he was going to have God's full wrath for sin placed upon him. 
that he was going to experience the judgment like something that we cannot even imagine. But I want you to notice what he did. I want you to think about what you do when you're scared. I want you to think about what you do when you have anxiety, when you are anxious, when you are in, in horror or terror about what may very well be happening in, in, in your life. And, and think about how you respond to that. And then think about how Jesus responded to all of these emotions, this overwhelming of fear and, and horror and, 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 and all those other things. What did he do? He went to his father. He prayed. How often do we, when we are overwhelmed with emotion, how often do we go to the Lord? When we are overwhelmed with emotion, what do we do? I mean, some of us, if we're probably being honest, some of us just immediately just suck it all in, right? And you begin to isolate yourself and you don't tell anybody what's going on and you hide in your room or you hide in your house or you, you, you don't talk to anybody and you suck it all in and you just hope that eventually all that emotion goes away. Usually what it does is it goes deep down in your life and so that something very small triggers it all and you just unload. Some of us go to our friends. And unfortunately, even Christians a lot of times go to friends that aren't the right friends. Because the right friends would take you to the Lord. But the wrong friends take you to their own personal experiences and opinions. And so we go to our friends, and often we go to our friends. Why? Because we want to hear what we want to hear. And we want them to affirm that we have every right to be angry and upset and scared, and we need to think of real, practical, fleshly solutions to whatever is causing those emotions and those anxieties. But that's not what Jesus did. And even though Jesus had gone off a little ways by himself to be with his father, he was still around his people. And even though he could have gone to them and said, hey, I think it's about to go down. What do you think we should do to the 12? He didn't. He went to his father. He fell on his face in prayer to God. Brothers and sisters, we are emotional creatures. There is no question about that. And guess what? Jesus experienced every emotion that we experience. And emotions are not inherently in and of themselves bad. But emotions, unchecked and without thought, will often lead us to fleshly, sinful, carnal solutions. And so when we feel our emotions rise up, when we feel terror and anxiety and pride and, and, and uh, bitterness and whatever it might be rising up within us, the answer should not be go to our friends, go to the bottle, go to the medication. Not if you need medication, I'm not judging you on that. Go into those things, going, you know, going and just in, internalizing all of it. But our solution should be go to the Lord. And cry out to him and fall face down before the Lord and say, Abba, Father, Dad, I don't know what to do. I don't know what I'm feeling. I don't know why this is happening. Help me. You're allowed to pray those prayers. Did you know that? Let's look at what Jesus prayed. 
Verse 36, 36 says that he went, Abba, Father. Abba is a Aramaic term that means daddy. Mark kept it because he knew that the Greek word patri didn't hold the same emotion and meaning. He wanted us to understand that this word Abba meant something close and intimate. My children do not come up to me unless they're mad at me and call me father. They call me daddy. Especially if they want something, they call me daddy. Because they know that that means something. That I love them and that they love me. I look around this room and I see some, some you know, Grammys and Papas and, and, and all these other things. And why do we call our grand, you know, I, grandmas and grandpas these special words, nanas and all those type of things. If Marsha was here, I'd say Mimi. We call them those things because they mean more than grandma. So I, I call my grandparents grandma. And my grandma's watching, so I better say I love you, grandma. But we don't go up to our, 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 our papas and mimis and, and nanas and poppies and all that stuff and say, hello, grandfather. Because we know them. And we love them. And we're close to them. And so when Jesus calls out to his father and he says, Abba, he's crying out to his daddy. He says this, he says, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. You may ask the question, what is this cup that he is talking about? This cup is literally found throughout Scripture. It's littered throughout the Old Testament, but I'll give you one such example in Jeremiah 25, 15. That says, for thus the Lord, the God of Israel, says to me, take this cup of wine of wrath from my hand and cause all the nations to whom I send you to drink it. Throughout Scripture, we hear of this foaming chalice, this cup of, of wine of the wrath of God. And this wrath of God is the result of the sinful actions, thoughts, and behaviors of man. Jesus knew that he was about to take the full penalty of the sins of humanity. And he had just one question for his father before he did so. Was there any other way? That is a massive question. That is a massive question that is still discussed even throughout Christianity today. And we wrestle with it in so many ways. Is there any other way that humanity can be made right with God? Is there any other way that we can be in a good relationship with God? Is there any other way that we can stand before God and say we are righteous? That we are good, that we are in a good standing relationship with God? Is there any other way apart from Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Jesus knew that his father could do all things. So he also knew that, that if there was any other way, that God would make it so. But also, if there was no other way, that he would willingly submit to his father. And I want you to think about that kind of obedience. 
that kind of obedience from the Son. If there was any other way, he's saying, God, I know you can do anything. And if there's any other way that we can make humanity right with you, then let me know what it is. If there's any other way we can do this, let me know. But whatever it is, I will do it. Again, guys, it's okay to pray those prayers. It is okay for us to go to God and say, God, I don't want to do this. I don't know what this is. God, if there's any other way I can walk with you and not have to do whatever this might be, show me. But nevertheless, I want to do what you have called me to do. I want to walk with you. I want to be obedient to you. See, this prayer does a lot to tell us about Jesus' humanity, but it also reveals a great deal about his obedience. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, Jesus wanted to please his Father. And brothers and sisters, we are called to do the exact same thing. We are just as human as Jesus was. Because he was fully human and so are we. And our desire should be to be obedient. In fact, that was the whole point of the beginning, right? The whole point of the beginning was that God was calling us and God had called us according to the law to be obedient. And, and our desire is to be obedient. And we see that obedience is a good and godly thing that we see from Jesus. And yet, as Jesus prayed this prayer, he took a break. And he prayed this prayer, and so that we know that there was much more words to it, and he was dialoguing and conversing with his father. But as he prayed this prayer, he took a break after about an hour to go back to his followers to check on them. And he goes to this inner circle, these three that are just maybe a few feet or a few yards away, Peter, James, and John. And what are they doing? Were they alert? Were they praying? Were they staying vigil knowing that, that things were about to happen and that they needed to be spiritually strong and be alongside their, their teacher and their, their savior? No. They were sleeping. Now, Luke twenty two forty five, which we studied just a few weeks ago in our Sunday school, does say that he found them sleeping from their sorrow. And I think we can relate to that. They were so emotionally overwhelmed by the news of the betrayal and the idea that, that Jesus may very soon be handed over to be crucified, that they were overwhelmed with grief, and so they just fell asleep. And just like that, we have an answer to our first question. We asked at the, just a few minutes ago if they, if the disciples could be obedient to God, to be obedient to Christ, even with a simple task. And the answer was no. But I want to remind all of you here that we should not get too puffed up. We should not look at them and begin to think, oh, golly, they couldn't stay awake for one hour. Are you kidding me? These are the 12 people that he could have picked. 
If I'd have been on that boat in Galilee that day, I'd still be away. Careful. You know who you're sounding like? Peter. We would have fallen just as easily. And I, as an, old, an older man, I fall asleep very easy. So I know I'd have fell asleep. Randy's laughing because he knows he's about to fall asleep now. Romans 3, verse 20 says, Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. It goes on in verse 23 to say, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The first question was, could his disciples be obedient? And that was the purpose of the law, right? The whole purpose of the law was obey this and it'll be good. We see right off the bat that if our right standing with God, if us getting to be with God in eternity is contingent on our obedience, then we're doomed. If we even think about the question that Jesus is asking, is there any other way We can know one thing for sure by these sleeping apostles is if that other way, if that other way is dependent on us and our obedience, then we have no hope and we have no future with God. Three times, three times, Jesus wakes them up. He goes to pray. He comes back. He wakes them up. He goes back to pray. He comes back. He wakes them up. A third time, he goes to pray. And a third time, he comes back to wake them up. And finally, he says these words. And these words reveal that Jesus had his answer. He said, it is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man has been betrayed into the hands of sinners. Jesus had his answer. There was no other way. Jesus knew that his time had come. He knew that he had to drink that cup. And he knew that the only way to redeem humanity was through the crucifixion. His hour was at hand and there was no turning back. Brothers and sisters, we cannot be right on our own. God cannot overlook sin and still be called a just God. But because, so someone, excuse me, so someone had to pay the price on our behalf. This is why we read in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, that he made him who knew no sin to be sin for our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him.
I want you to understand this, brothers and sisters. Jesus asked if there was any other way for mankind to be made right with God. And the answer was no. Humanity needed Jesus. And if humanity needed Jesus, then we need Jesus. And they need Jesus. Genesis 2.21 says these words, and these should ring in our head. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. But this passage reveals to us today that he did not die needlessly. But he died to pay the price for sin. And he rose from the grave three days later. And the only way that anyone can be saved through, is through a relationship with Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. This is what we need to know. And this is what our community needs to know. This is why we are so serious about getting the gospel to every home. Because we believe that there is no way that those people, the people that live in our neighborhoods, that live in our streets, that live in our community, there is no way that they will ever be saved from their sins apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ. There is no way they can be made right with God apart from believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and who he was and what he came to do, that he rose from the grave three days later. There's no other way. If you're here today and you think even just in a little part of your soul, that you're going to get by because you're a good guy or a good girl. If you think there's even a little part of your, of your body that, you, that surely God would not condemn me to hell. Please understand, Jesus asked, is there any other way? If he's a good, you know what, if he's a good old boy, Never heard a fly. Will give everybody the shirt off his back. I can't tell you how many times I hear that. I cannot tell you how many times I hear people say, well, tell me about him. Oh, he was a great guy. He'd give you the shirt right off his back. But did he know the Lord? The answer is no. Then he is condemned in his sin. And he will spend eternity separate from God. Jesus didn't go to God and say, God, is there any other way? And God said, sure. You know, if she's a good person and does nice things and gives her old clothes to charity and brings people a pie every once in a while, then she'll be fine. Well, he's a good guy. Would give you the shirt right off his back. He'll be fine. If any of that were true, then Christ died needlessly. We need Jesus. All of us need Jesus. They need Jesus. And they aren't going to have Jesus if no one tells them about Jesus. And if you are here today, and you are hoping and trusting in anything besides Jesus, then you are dead in your sin and you are destined to an eternity as separated from God.
We say this rather forcefully because there is great urgency. And we ask you and indeed plead with you today, will you give your life to Christ? We explain the gospel a very consistent way here at Tuttle Hill Baptist Church. And uh, we call it the three circles, and the three circles begins in this way. And we believe that God had a design. And, and to be honest, we're seeing that design in even this passage. Because even God, now, Jesus says, is there any other way? Is there any plan B? And God says, no, this is the design. This is the plan. I have made everything on purpose with a purpose. And that includes everyone in this room. I see them panicking back there. Don't worry, they're going to get it up. And God's design is that law that we talked about, that if you obey and you do everything God wants you to do, then you'll be fine. But there was a problem with that. We don't. In fact, Romans 3 made that abundantly clear that all of us, that the only thing the law has succeeded in doing is giving us the knowledge of our own sin. And sin is when we depart from God's design and we do our own thing. And don't worry, even if you're a great old guy who gives, gives people a shirt right off your back, you sin. You know you do. You know that there are times in your life where you just do what you want to do. And it really doesn't even matter what God wants you to do. You're just doing, you're, you're going to do you. And sin always leads us to a place of brokenness. And that's something we can feel. I don't even need to appeal to scripture when I talk about brokenness because all of us know what it feels like to be broken. What it feels like to know that would we, oh, I should have said this. Oh, I could have done better. Oh, I, I, I shouldn't have done that. Oh, I just don't. Sometimes I just feel like I don't fit in. Like I don't belong. That's brokenness. And we do lots of things to try to, to alleviate the feelings of brokenness. We try to get super religious. We, some of us numb it with drugs and alcohol. We try to pour our, our, try to pour into our children or our grandchildren and hope that through them we'll be made whole. We work and find success and money and all those things, hoping that will fix us. But what we recognize, and hopefully you recognize today, and you listening online, is that it doesn't fix it. And that you still feel that brokenness. And that brokenness, the reality is, is we can't fix brokenness from brokenness. And that's why Jesus came. Because if we could fix ourselves, then we didn't need Jesus to come. But the Bible says that God so loved the world that he did send his own, one and only son. That Jesus lived the life we couldn't live. He died on the cross and taking our wrath and the punishment for the sins that we committed. And he rose from the grave three days later, defeating death and sin. And the Bible says that if you will believe and repent, or repent and believe, that you will be saved from your brokenness. And that goes back to what we talked about at the very beginning. As we looked at our very first Bible passage for this morning. The gospel is for everyone who will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and turn to him as their Lord and Savior. 
When we turn towards Jesus, we turn away from the sins that rule our lives. Not perfectly, not in every way, shape, and form, but we begin to walk with Jesus. And that's what it means to recover and pursue God's design for your life. Brothers and sisters, if there was any other way than what you see in this picture today, then we wouldn't need to be here today. If there was any other way, we wouldn't need to get the gospel to every home. If there was any other way, we wouldn't need to send missionaries overseas. If there was any other way, I would happily leave this pulpit and go make donuts. Because we all know that's, that's my other passion. I'm joking. But there's no other way. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we can be saved. So where do you see yourself? You can't be walking in God's design because none of us are. Do you sense your brokenness? Do you find yourself stuck there in all those squiggly lines trying to fix your brokenness but never truly repenting and believing on the Lord Jesus Christ? What's stopping you today? Will you give your life to Christ today? Let us pray. Our gracious God and King, Lord, we praise you so much for who you are. God, we know that you are are sovereign over our own things. And just like Jesus said in, in our passage today, God, we know that you can do all things. And so, God, we know that if there was any other way by which man could be saved from their sin, that you would have done it. But there isn't. And God, we also know that you can send forth your spirit to convict people of sin so that they might surrender their lives to you and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And the most hard and wayward person can surrender themselves to you through your power and your grace. And so God, we ask for that today. And God, we pray for each and every one in this room that they might know Jesus Christ that they might be saved from their sins and that they might be willing to go and share this good news with other people. And God, we pray for those that are even listening online that they might also surrender their lives to Jesus to walk with you. But God, we pray that not one person who is in this building today or listening online would go one more day apart from a relationship with Christ Jesus. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.